You're listening to Builder Funnel Radio. This is the Building a Family Business Show with Wes and Brooks Powell. Let's dive in. The Powell family construction business has been around for over 110 years. Over that time, it's evolved and been through four generations of the Powell family. What started as a new construction business building spec homes in the Seattle area evolved to building communities, remodeling, building custom homes, and then getting involved with property management. Today, the business currently owns and operates two retirement and assisted living facilities, several apartment buildings, and does third-party property management in the Seattle area with about 750 total doors under management. Over the last several decades, Wes and Brooks have seen it all when it comes to business evolution, family dynamics in the construction industry. This is the show where I work to extract their knowledge and experiences to help you navigate family dynamics, among other things, in your construction business. Let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software, plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it, so go ahead and hit pause and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else, so I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Wes Brooks, how's it going today? Good. Great. Thanks, Ben. Good, good. Well, we're, uh, we're deep into um, COVID-19, and so we've just been commenting on all of our different hair lengths. So if you're you're listening to this via audio, sorry, you can't re- re- have zero context here. But uh, for those of you watching the video, um, basically Wes and I have not been gifted with with lots of hair, and Brooks has. So he's <laughs> been he's got all the leverage right now. Yeah, <laughs> guess, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> get all the lucky genes in the family. Yeah. Yeah. Get the flowing locks, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Brooks, uh, since since you've got all the locks, what do you what are you reading these days? I did not read a thing this week. I uh, I spent the week with my chainsaw, just uh, cutting up brush in my yard and hauling it. I have a very long yard. I haul it from the very back to the very front and cut it up and put it in my dump trailer. And um, so that's kind of occupied my time. No reading nice. this week. Nice. No reading. <laughs> Needed a break. Yeah. No reading. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Wes? Well, that's funny that Brooks mentioned that. I have also been out on the property uh, clearing scrub oak and trimming that all up. We have a big pickup coming up pretty soon for fire mitigation. So anyway, 
Uh, but I have done a little bit of reading. I'm reading, uh, I just started Pre-Suasion by Robert Cialdini. I think that's the right way to pronounce it. C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. I'm sure uh, he'll email him and correct us. What's that? Yeah, I'm, so sure. I'm sure he'll email him and correct it'll be in, us. It'll be, uh, we'll put it in the notes <laughs> or something. Uh, really good book. Uh, he's a uh, well-known expert in the field of influence. And uh, so, if, and he's got another book that he wrote a number of years ago called Influence. I think that's back in the early 90s or something that he wrote that. That's a good place to start, but this persuasion is is pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You guys have been doing a lot of work out in the in the yards or on the properties. I don't have much of a yard, but I uh, was doing a workout and I had followed this guy, I think Wes, that you had recommended to me a while back, um, big in the lifting space. And he said, hey, you can still grow muscles with small, smaller weights if you just work till failure and not being able to go to the gym right now. I said, okay, well, I'll try to do a failure workout and I can barely type. I can't even, you know, open lids or do anything. <laughs> so I think I did something wrong, but uh, <laughs> I don't feel bad for either of you at all because I feel like you're still functioning and I can't, I can't um, function. So <laughs> the joys of lactic acid build up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, no worries, Spencer. As you get older, you can't open lids anyway, so you're just <laughs> early. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm having to deal with that challenge early on. It'll work on your work on your forearm strength. Yeah, yeah. I'll just uh, get some of those forty fives and just walk around the neighborhood with them. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, today we're we're not going to talk about all that that garbage. We're going to talk about. Uh, actually, a, a kind of a case study at a project that you guys worked through. Um, I don't actually know the exact timeline, but we'll we'll dig into that. But I thought it would be helpful in light of some of our past discussions around metrics and returns and investment and how do you think through when a project looks like it's going to be a good one uh, to, to go through and then um, what are those checkpoints along the way? I know you guys have said, hey, Sometimes you get in and you've got all this money into it, so you get scared to leave. So we can talk about some of those things. Um, but I guess, you know, Brooks, what, what, uh, what was this project? How did you come up with the idea? Kind of give us the lay of the land here. Sure. Well, we, we had a project that um, had potential for, we believed, anywhere from 20 to 30 units. And we weren't really sure what that size would be. So you, you always have to start with any project with a pro forma. And a pro forma is how do you believe something will, will work? And um, that's one of the things Wes is really good at doing is pro formas. And um, so the pro forma has some critical parts, which are um, what do you think the return on investment will be? What do you think the cost will be? What do you think um, interest rates will be? And capital. So Wes, I want to jump in there on I can some of the lender side of cap rates and interest sure, rates. Sure, yeah, we can, we can talk about that stuff. Um, but I think, you know, let's take a step back from that even maybe and just think about you have to have an idea, right? So, you know, you're driving around, you're looking at property, you're out at your projects or something and you see a piece of land. And I think in our family, that's always kind of what started it is someone's a piece of land, right, Brooks? You see something you like and think, oh, yeah, that, that, yeah. either we could build some single family stuff on it or, oh, that might be a good apartment site, something like that. And go, oh, that's 
a potential opportunity. And so in terms of the pro forma, that is usually where we start, but it doesn't have to be a sophisticated pro forma right off the bat. We always kind of make fun in our family of, you know, using the back of the napkin. <laughs> so you, know, you flip over the napkin, you start scratching out some numbers and say, hey, does this even make a little bit of sense? Should I even pursue this um, to the next step? So I think let's just so talk what, about part Yeah, what goes on yeah. the napkin? Yeah, I'm curious. What goes on the napkin? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> you really start out with, you start out with, you start ahead, with rents. You start yeah. out with rent. In, in this case, and again, because we're talking about investment property, um, and it could be it could be a single family home, it could be a site that would hold a certain number of units, or it could be an existing building. And you say, "Gee, this building looks underutilized; it might have potential for redevelopment." And um, unless you're going to use that building for your own company, you're really going to be renting it out to somebody else. So the first thing you got to figure out is, well, hey. What do I think I can rent these for? I think that's the first thing that goes on the napkin. Absolutely. And and I think if you think about this project really as a business, so just like your business, you have a P&L that you do uh, for yourself every month. Hopefully you're doing it every month, if not at least once a quarter, but you're going, hey, like Brooke said, what what's my revenue side? What am I going to bring in? And that's your rents in this particular case. So if this building is a mini business, then you're going to have to say, what, what's my potential revenue stream? Who are my customers? Who are my renters? Um, so you start there and you go, well, what's everything else renting for around in the neighborhood? So you're going to check your rents and you can do that yourself. You might have a good sense of it. You might have a few other rentals in the area, possibly. Or you can hire an outside firm to go check all the rents for you. Or you can check with your real estate agents and you, okay, what are one bedrooms going for? What are studios going for? What are two bedrooms going for? Um, how does my potential location compare to everybody else's? Um, and I'm gonna adjust up and down from that. So you gotta give yourself a, a revenue range. So that's the top line. So Brooks, what's the next line? So the next line then is obviously expenses. And you know, for apartments, you can use 30 to 35% expense ratio. And what that means is if you have $100,000 in gross rents, $35,000 will go to expenses just to pay property taxes, insurance, property management, uh, repairs, maybe some utilities. So that's a good, you know, everybody's market's different. I mean, in some markets, it could be 50%. In some markets, it could be 20%. So it's understanding what that expense ratio is in your market and you could just you can just get industry standards to start with i mean you can quickly google you know exp apartment expense ratios in your town and you're going to get a range it'll be close enough you know for the back of the napkin so that's where you get all those numbers and when you take your gross revenue and subtract your expenses that's your your net income and then that becomes an important thing which which goes back to then, you know, what can you borrow and things like that. So Wes, yeah, you know, after that income. So I think uh, so. A couple of things too. One thing, I, as you're talking about that, Brooks, I forgot to mention, which is you're going to start with your rental rule. But let's let's assume that you've got uh, ten units. Okay, you're going to do ten units, and they're going to rent for fifteen hundred bucks a piece. So what's that? 
15,000, right? $15,000 a month, right? We're all good at math. 15,000, yeah. so 15,000. <laughs> yeah, so $180,000 a year, okay? So always into an, monthly and then annualized because the annualization is what the banks, the lenders will look at. They're looking at your annual number. So exactly right. So you got $180,000, but that's in a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world. So you have to add, you know, a typical bank is going to say they're going to look at your napkin and go, okay, well, you're not going to be full 100% of the time. And so industry standard is to show either a 5% or 7% vacancy. Um, now, in specific markets, they might allow something a little bit higher, a little bit less, but typically that's kind of industry standard. So you're going to take 5% of your gross rents right off the bat and say, you know what, people are going to come and go, they're going to move out, they're going to move in, and I'm going to lose some revenue in that churn process. So uh, I've got 180000 uh, I'm going to take 5% off of that, which would be, what's that? It's going to give you 171000 in in revenue. So 171,000, then you're going to say, as Brooks said, what's my expenses? Let's take 35%. Brooks is running the calculator here. So well, I was going to use 30% of 35. Yeah. So oh, okay. 60,000 60, would be 35%. Uh, okay. And so that leaves yeah. you 111,000 after that. And so that is your net operating income. NOI. And this is your key number that you are really trying to get to because this is the number that the lender is going to look at to determine how much that they're going to lend to you. And what and that's going to be based on what the property is now worth. So I think on previous programs we've talked about net operating income. It's really just an income stream. And so that has some sort of a value. So you're going to say, well, what's the value of my income stream of $111,000 on this project? And so you're going to go back to Google, right, Brooks, and, and look yep. up what's, what are your cap rates for apartments in your area. And once again, cap rate just stands for capitalization rate or how much capital would I need to have in order to produce this amount of net operating income? Okay, so we're going to just do backwards math and we're going to say 111,000. And I don't know, Bricks, what should we use for our capital? By, let's use a capitalization rate of 5%. It's kind of okay. typical. In, and then you, so you take 111,000 divided by 5%, that gives you 2.2 million in okay. value. So 2.2 million in value. So that's great. So now, now we have something that we can talk to the bank about. We can say, we have this piece of property. Um, we think we can put um, 10 units on it. We have this kind of revenue. It's going to have this type of net operating income. And based on industry standards in our area with this cap rate, we think it's worth 2.2 million. And then the bank is going to say, you know, what they think that they will lend on it. And so this is where uh, I'm going to kick it back over to Brooks because he is our banker guru. So that I am. So the <laughs> the, the key thing to, to remember is uh, your variables as you work through this process on the napkin are rents. Yep. If you're, you're wrong on your assumption on rents, values could either be the value of the building could be lower or higher. Um, no use arguing about occupancy rate, industry standards, five percent. That's just what the bank's going to lend on, you know, don't bother. 
you know, trying to worry about that. Expense ratio, uh, the bank's going to use industry standard for expense ratio for apartment buildings. So that 30 to 35%, they might tweak it a little bit, but it's not worth trying to get wrapped around the axle at, at this point, because at the end of the day, the bank's going to underwrite the deal and they decide all those things. Um, so you get back to, we have this value of 2.2 million for this project based on the income stream. And the bank's going to look at two things. They're going to look at a loan to value number and they're going to look at a loan to cost. So LTV, loan to value, and LTC, loan to cost. Now, right now, back in the napkin, you're sitting around talking about it. You're like, well, okay, well, it's 2.2 million. The bank's going to loan me 70% loan to value. That's pretty typical. And that's where they start. So 2.2 times 0.7. They're going to lend you 1.5 million based on loan to value. Now, there's going to be a couple other key parts where they're going to hit you on, which will actually push that number down. And that's loan to cost and it's DCR, debt coverage ratio. So let's kind of stop there. So on the napkin, you're like, okay, I can borrow 1.5 million. So then you start noodling along. Well, what do I think it's going to cost me to build 10 units? And you say, okay, so I'm going to just, I'm going to pause on the lender side. And then you, because you, you have to really move over and say, well, based on what I know about construction costs, what do I think it's going to cost me to build this building? So then you just keep noodling away. You maybe get out a second napkin and you say, <laughs> well, what's it going to cost us to, uh, to build the building? So let's say with, so West Wales eight, we'll say 10 units. And let's say you're going to build two bedrooms. And so they're 900 square feet. So 900 times 10 is 9,000 square feet. And then we ask ourselves, well, what does it cost them to build stuff today? You know, kind of in the apartment market, um, you know, and I don't know. So maybe we use 120 bucks a foot or so everybody's market's different. So you've got to, when you're sitting there talking, you're like, well, what can we build this building for? You know, we know it costs, if we're in the custom home space or the spec space, we know what it costs to build single family houses. Uh, apartments tend to build a little bit less for some reason, you know, because there's efficiencies. And so we had, you know, we had 10 units times 900 is 9,000. And let's just say it costs 120 bucks a foot. So that's times 120 bucks a foot. That's a million $80,000 to build the building. Okay. And we thought the bank would loan us 1.5. Sure. Okay. So looking good. Yes. <clears throat> right. So I know you, Brooks, you're going to get to debt coverage ratio and so on. Uh, at some yeah. point, of course, we'll have to think about what's the land worth, right? Because if it had a for sale yeah, sign. Yeah, what the building was worth. To build yeah, the we building. just found what the building was worth, but the other component is what is the land worth? And then we'll also have some other soft costs. That, but those we're talking about are hard costs right now, which is, hey, yeah. Brooks is saying, what's the building worth? It, or what's it gonna cost to build it? Get it up in the air and what what can we- Well, that's do? perfect. So we circle back and we say, well, we think we can borrow 1.5. We know the building's gonna now cost us 1.1. Of course, we're still back in the napkin and we're, we've looked at this piece of property and it could be on the market or not on the market. We don't know, but let's say, uh, um, you know, in your market, you can buy multifamily units for 25 grand a unit. So let's say this is on the market at 
25 grand units, a 10 unit, 250,000. So now you know what your land costs are. So Brooks, so you've determined, okay, 250 for the land, mm -hmm. uh, maybe, you know, we're going, oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> okay, that's what they want. Um, and so we said 1.1 1 .1, and then 250. Yeah. Um, so that's 1.35, still going 1.5, they might lend us, but are there any other soft costs or other things that we need to throw yeah, in? So we talk about our two hard costs, which are yeah. land. So those are the ones that are easy for us. Right, exactly. In builders that we're like, oh, we can figure these out. Yeah, sure. But, but what are some of the soft costs maybe that uh, people should be thinking about? So the soft costs that we usually get stuck with that we don't see in the single family space or the the plat development space, the remodeling space are things like um, planning fees, park fees, uh, utility fees, you know, which are bigger, um, fire suppression fees, um, did I say park fees? So there's things that they load on when you're in the multifamily space that you wouldn't see in the single family space. We've seen more of that in the single family space than we used to. But so your soft costs are typically higher in the multifamily space. And that's why sometimes it's easier to stay in the single family space because you, you don't get loaded up with all the planning fees. So permit costs will be higher. Um, and, you know, so like, bringing you know sewer capacity charges can be higher uh, so there's some of those things to think about um, and there's also financing is higher in this in this environment because you have you're borrowing for construction but then you have a longer build cycle and then you have a lease up cycle and so your your lending costs are higher so it, you know right now in our back of the napkin it looks like we have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of extra money well two things are going to happen you're going to load up with soft costs and the bank's really going to lend you uh, a loan to cost ratio. So let's which, talk about that bricks for a yeah. second, because it was easy enough to come up with that loan to value. You know, we had 2.2 million times the 70% to 1.5. Right. So we're saying, well, that's the maximum maybe they would lend us. But you're alluding to the next thing, which might reduce that loan amount. Correct. So, loan so as you as you determine what your costs are the bank will then lend you a certain you know they'll make you a certain percentage of loan to cost now their loan to cost will be higher than their loan to value so the, these two numbers kind of are working against each other and then and then you you they'll loan you a certain percentage loan to cost and then you'll be governed by the next thing which is debt coverage ratio so we'll, we'll come to that so a lot of times the banks will loan you a 70% loan to value based on the value of the building. Then they govern it and say, well, we're only going to loan you 85% of your cost. And that's a pretty typical development number. Sometimes they'll push it up. Sometimes they'll pull it down, depending on how aggressive they are. So, so let's say that by the time we got done with our building, it was 1.350 and there was uh uh, soft cost for another 200. So, or let's say 300. So, what is that? So that takes us to 165. 1.65. Okay. And they're going to loan us 85% of that. So, 1650 times 0.85. They'll loan us 1.4 million. 
So that's, that's interesting. Up, so that's a hundred grand. Hundred grand left. Two hundred grand left. You said one point four. Well, well, it's a hundred grand less than one point five, and this is sure. where we have to be clear about what number we're talking about. So, <laughs> right. so, so I think my, my point was, yeah, our point was though loan to value one point five, and then oh, that's a nice right. number. Oh, now we're at one point four, based on the fact that our costs are one point six five. Right. And they're going to only loan us 85% of that. So now we're down to 1.4 is a maximum so correct loan amount. If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BillBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level. Daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls. And inevitably, things fall through the cracks. With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. As you're talking through this, Brooks, I'm going, well, what's the point of the LTV then if uh, if they're just going to work off your cost? Because I'm, you know, as you started going down this path, I'm thinking, oh, well, what if you're, they can loan you 1.5, but if your costs are only 750, you know, then, but really they're going to look at that. It sounds like that cost. So, number, right? so you know? this is the evolution of lending <laughs> and, you know, at different times, lenders become much more uh, flexible when they want it. They have a lot of cash and they want to push more money out. And so the lender can decide, Hey, are we going gotcha. you know, to give you a loan to value, loan to cost, what's going to govern. But most of these construction loans for, for small builders, like all of us, uh, they're going to come from community banks and community banks are not going to uh, hang it out there with you. Whereas you might, so, you know, sometimes you can get a construction loan from a pension fund where they're willing to take more risk, um, but the community banks tend not to. Um, <clears throat> so loan to value is a good back of the napkin place to start. If the loan to value doesn't work when you're sitting there, you know, having a cup of coffee, talking to the numbers, no use having a further discussion about it. But you just know in the back of your mind, okay, if the loan to value works, we're really going to be working against this loan to cost number. And that's going to govern how much cash we have to put in. And the reason, well, it will come back to debt coverage ratio in a second, but the loan to cost number is, is if we are example, we have 1.650 to is what our costs were. And they'll loan us 1.4. So now we've thrown out the loan to value. Um, so we need to bring $250,000 in cash into the transaction. So that's kind of your point. You're like, oh, do I have 250? Do I, where could I get 250? Um, 
And, you know, you don't even know what your construction costs are yet. At least you have a rough idea and you start working against, you know, that number. Um, but then that gets us to, well, I think we switch off. We've kind of, we've gone through the loan to value, the loan to cost. Things are still looking okay. So I think there, Brooks, I don't have to go through that, but so just recognize we're kind of bouncing between our two napkins, right? On one napkin, we've got, this is what our, pro forma looks like for the business of this apartment building, which is here are our rents, here's our expenses, here's our net operating income. And we needed that number to go to the other napkin and say, based on that net operating income, this is what the, lo the bank will loan us. Um, oh, does that fit within our cost, what we think it's going to cost to build, us, build it? So in a way, the second napkin is your balance sheet. If you think yeah, of it that way, your first napkin is your pro forma or your P&L and your income statement. And your next one is your balance sheet, which is how much am I going to have to put into this project? How much am I going to have to borrow for this project? And things like that. So, um, so all of that then, when we go back to that first sheet, which is your income statement, we worked our way down through net operating income. Now where Brooks is, he's at debt service coverage ratio, which means that if we borrow this 1.4 million, what's the interest rate on that loan and what's the payment? And we need to know that payment and then we can plug that in below the net operating income. So Brooks, I'll let you pick it up from there. Okay. Are you looking for uh, a payment? <laughs> well, yeah. So while I talk about it, maybe just run a, run a payment calculator on, on this, Wes. Let's say that we're going to borrow uh, I mean, or I can pull one up. Yeah, you better pull one up. I don't think yeah. I've got one here. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about the payment. The payment's going to be uh, based on the current interest rate and the amount we're going to borrow. And uh, then we measure that against what our uh, net net operating income is. So, and so well, let's assume that we can borrow uh, $1.4 Okay. okay. And so what do you think rates are today? So I would, I would just use a, uh, let's use four and a half percent today. Um, and, uh, the, um, and it's going to be saying that the thing that's going to be different is going to be, um, they're going to use a 25 year amortization schedule. Um, whereas, uh, in no, you know, single family, they use um, 30 year. Uh, so 1.4 million in 25 years, 300 months, four and a half percent interest rate. And um, the, okay, the calculator I'm using does not like to do that. So I'm gonna use a different calculator. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little problem with these online yeah. calculators. They I know it's like yeah, being set up for single family type. Uh, well, and while yeah. while Brooks is pulling up a, a yeah. better calculator, come on Google. Um, yeah. Basically, what I'll I'll try to summarize what you guys have said, which is, hey, we've got the first napkin, we've got our NOI. So I think it was that hundred ten thousand, hundred eleven, hundred eleven thousand, mm -hmm. and then we've got our you know, our costs, and now we're trying to figure out our loan amounts. So we're going, okay, depending on what this number comes back at, that's how we're starting to figure out what our cash flow is and our return is. Is that kind of where we're, we're exactly heading right. here? Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Brooks, so, Brooks, any luck there? Yep. So 1.4 million with a 25 year amortization, four and a half percent interest rate is $7,781 and 65 cents. So let's just pay times 12. Let's just round up to 8,000. Eight times sure. twelve, ninety-six thousand. So ninety-six thousand. We had one hundred eleven thousand, right? And so right now, if you do the math on that, that's for it's fifteen, fifteen thousand, right? And that's yeah. per year. Yeah. So your profit—that's your net profit—is fifteen thousand dollars a year. And we're assuming that maybe you had to put two hundred fifty k of your own money into the deal. Right. So now there's a lot of different ways that you can figure out whether you like, like this deal or not. Okay. So you can say, well, what's my, uh, what's my return on investment? Okay. So that would be your 250,000 that we've said so far, um, 15. And you can say just classic is say 15,000 divided by 250, right? Six uh, percent. How much? Six. Six percent. Six percent. You say, well, okay, is that that's my first cut? Is that worth the risk today? Do I would I want to do this deal on that? So that's one way to look at it. But another way you can look at it is uh, cash on cash return. So how much cash do I have in the deal? Two hundred fifty thousand. How much cash will this thing actually push out a year? You say, well. GUS, it pushes out $15,000 a year, which is inaccurate um, because your payment, well, actually it is fairly accurate because yeah. we've kind of, yeah, we've, we haven't, in, we haven't looked at uh, depreciation on this property yet. And we haven't actually looked at the fact that you can't deduct your principal payment on this project either. You can only deduct the interest on your pro forma. So those typical things, but you know, 15% is one way to look at it. Um, 15,000, 15, sorry, 15,000. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess the cash on cash would be different if you like Brooks mentioned, Hey, you might be able to go get the two fifty somewhere else. Maybe you have an investor or something. And so sure. your, your cash is lower, but then your returns probably gonna be lower because they'll want to return. They're going to want to return. On it's that not way. looking like this one is maybe a, uh, you know, we're knocking it out of the park, but it could still be a possibility. But, but so one thing we haven't talked, so there's, so the different things you look at, one, we, we, we have to look at debt coverage ratio. I think we should finish that discussion. And then let's look at, you know, equity created. And, and then there's also tax benefits. So yeah. those are all the things that, that flow into it. Um, because most buildings uh, are not going to knock it out of the park on a, on a return on investment like this measure in the very beginning. But you might have built that 10-year building and created $500,000 in equity. So Brooks, do you mind, let's go back to your, what you were gonna talk about before, which is debt coverage ratio, because all of this calculation that we've done so far, which was we have our net operating income of 111,000, and we know that at least our first cut using Google, it's going to cost us $96,000 a year in a payment. So what is debt coverage ratio, Brooks? So debt coverage ratio is the, the bank will typically want 20% of coverage. So they say, 
if you're paying a hundred thousand dollars a year in debt, you know, we want twenty thousand dollars in coverage, or we want you want you to be making a hundred and twenty thousand dollars in in net operating okay. income. So that they have a buffer. So, you know, let's say you take a little bit more vacancy or expenses go up or so it gives them a little bit of room. So in this case, uh, it's not too far off in that, you know, if we had 96,000, they'd want us to have $115,000 in net operating income. So typical thing you do, you, you push up your pro forma rents and you pull down your expenses and voila, you've got $115,000. <laughs> and so that's a good place to start because totally. we only offer four grand. Yeah. So and this is all just back of the napkin, right? They're all estimates absolutely. anyway. So yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, if you make it off of the napkin, which is kind of what we're doing here, we're going at this point, you're saying, okay, it seems to generally work on the back of the napkin. I do have, say you do have 250,000 cash. Um, you know, you get the it. property is at 250. And you think average rents are those. So you, then you have to ask yourself, I think, and maybe Brooks, there's some other things we've forgotten that we should discuss first. But my thought is, okay, how can I make this a little bit more bulletproof? Okay, here is worth talking about. Well, rents have to be just right. The land is priced, you know, right, just right. You know, it's right at the top of what I would pay. I'm borrowing right at the top of what I could borrow. And... I only have $250,000 in cash. So everything has to align perfectly for this project go forward. And so then you have to ask, well, what's the risk of, of the, anything not happening correctly out of all of those variables? And so then from there, you can start to work through those variables and go, how can I improve each one of these? So can I buy the land for less? Could I buy it for 200? How desperate is the seller? How long has it been on the market? Um, is there something I could do with the units to get a little bit more in rent to make it more attractive? Um, could I find a backup uh, lender or could I find another source of cash that would backstop me in case I run through my 250 and construction costs go up? So um, things like that. So what do you think, Brooks? Anything else? Uh, and, I, and I think that uh, those are all valid Um and a lot of us have to use other people's money to help get these projects started as a way to kind of get rolling. And the nice thing is, is that most everybody probably knows somebody who is like, oh, I'd like to get a decent return or I want to diversify my portfolio and I'm willing to invest in some real estate. And, and maybe you get a couple people that each throw in 100 and you throw in 50 and, and you're, off, you're, off, you're off to the races. Um, as far as getting the, the project going. Um, but the, you know, hard costs are still an unknown. We, we've, you know, done them on the napkin. We think that, you know, maybe there, there'll be some opportunities there. You know, I think every project we've ever done, the hard costs always came in higher. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think, and I think that the whole velocity issue, right? I mean, because your risk will go up the, uh, along with the length of time it takes you to do the project. So if, if you're in, if you're in your jurisdiction, you can get a, you know, multifamily permit in 30 to 60 days, you know, that's a whole different thing than if it's one to two years, like it might be in another jurisdiction. So your risk factors are way higher in that second scenario than they are in the first one. 
So you really have to think about that and recognize you need a lot more backstopping. So on the construction costs, though, Brooks and I had a project where, you know, it was in a very inflationary market and over, you know, high regulatory environment, probably took a year and a half, two years to kind of work through that. And construction costs went up 30 35% killed yeah, the project. And it, was a, it was probably you know, the highest inflationary construction cost sure. we've seen in, you know, 30 years, but that, yeah, that ended up killing the project because you just couldn't increase your rents, decrease your expenses enough to, you know, overcome that. Uh, yeah. And so that was, that was, it really wasn't market risk from the standpoint of, Oh gee, the market went away, but it was construction cost risk. And it was um, entitlement risk, and the, the entitlements just took. You know, if we had been coming out of the ground a year earlier, we would have, you know, we would have built it for what we originally pro forma it at. But it just everything moved, and so that's just that's part of building in a strong economy. So if you're, you know, we've always tried to build in down cycles. So if you get everything teed up and permitted and you get ready to build it, you know, kind of near the bottom of a, of a recession, then everybody's really wants to work and people work for a lot less just to keep their machine operating. And if you've got money to spend, then you can build things for 25% less than you would in an inflationary market. Um, so that's really a, so that's an opportunity when, you know, if you're looking for opportunities, look for stuff, uh, when things are sliding down into a recession and be ready to go um, when the recession is at the bottom, when most people are most pessimistic because that's yeah. what the opportunity is. One of the opportunities. So you have to be willing to look further out, further ahead um, in order to see that, that, yeah, now I'm in this bottom trough of a cycle and then I'm going to come out eventually and this will work out pretty well. Um, but I think you also have to get checked along the way through your project, depending on how long it takes from start back of the napkin to actually I'm breaking ground and, and double check on those different expenses because you don't want to bid this project out, get a number, and then get it to start a construction, say six months later or something, and just roll. And all of a sudden your subcontractors are coming back and going, well, you know, it's 10% more, it's this, it's that. You know, you really need to be locked down on your on your costs and expenses and do a double check on rents. What's going yeah. on? Are the rents are you still valid on rents? Can you can you lease it for what you say you're gonna lease it for? So before we get to our example case study here, Brooks, you had mentioned something about, you know, when we were working through this performer and we kind of figured out, hey, it's a six percent return, it's fifteen thousand dollars in cash a year that it's producing. But then you said, hey, we didn't think about equity that you might be building into the deal. Or a lot of times these deals start to look a lot better as you look down the road and you've been in them for a while. So how would you guys look at, we just kind of made up some of these numbers along the way just to test this on our on our napkin. But what would you guys be looking at you know, into the future going, hey, okay, yeah, maybe for the first few years it, you know, it's 6% and it's $15,000 a year, but what are the other things that we can look forward to if we run this? Well, Wes, what do you mean? One way to do it is, I mean, you can look at internal rate of return, which most of us, you know, in the residential market don't spend any time looking at internal rate of return, but that 
maybe let you explain that and that would help. That's one way to do it. Yeah. I, I mean, one way, just we talked about this on another podcast. I think it's just a way to compare different cash flow streams. But all it really does is it says, hey, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend this amount of money at the front end cash, and then my cash is gonna come back to me over time, going out into the future. And I'm, so you're actually just gonna write those numbers down on a sheet of paper and go, I spent 250, and now I'm getting 15 grand, 15 grand, 15 grand, 18 grand, 20 grand. I think rents are gonna go up, and you can take that series of cash flows, and internal rate of return basically just discounts those for the time value of money and gives you a, a return. So you might you might look at it and go, well, gosh, I got an 8% internal rate of return. You know, that's pretty good. Uh, considering that, you know, the, there's you can get zero <laughs> if you invest with the government today. So well, but also you can calculate into us the typically internal rate of return you would you'd have a sale. And you, you, you'd say, well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you could do that. Right. Yeah. You say a sale at the tail and sell, I'm going to sell it after 20 years. And, and um, so yeah, probably where Brooks is going is going, well, what do you think? What do I think my inflation is going to be on this, on the value of this asset? You know, our apartment buildings going up 3% a year, 5% a year. I mean, that's an actual return on yeah. your estate capital. Well, I would, yeah. I would, I would say, Hey, you know, Apartments are over the last 30 years have gone up, you know, 3%. So you take this building that's now worth 2.2 million and it goes up 3% a year. And let's say you're, you're going to sunset the project at 10 years and sell it. And, you know, the investors have gotten their return and they got whatever, you know, they got their cash back plus whatever growth they got. And that's usually what starts kicking real estate returns up from five or 6% to eight to 10 to 12% because they use that sale um, and the, the generation, you know, the, the, all that return of equity and growth back to the investors. I think that's where you see these higher returns. You know, if you're never going to sell the building, that really changes that dynamic. So again, investment, you know, maybe you, you do a couple of buildings and sell them and then the last one you keep. And that's kind of how you got to, you worked your way from a, a duplex to a fourplex to a tenplex to a twenty unit, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm done." And then that's yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. But I, as you were talking about that, Brooks, you know, what if you're never going to sell a building? And that's a lot of people do that, right? They, but in terms of trying to compare, you do need to kind of put an artificial sale out there for a couple of projects if you're actually looking at a couple of pieces of land in your neighborhood or wherever you can put that artificial sale out of 10 years or 15 years. Um, but the nice thing about if you're never going to sell, I mean, the reason it's going up in value is because everything else is going up too, right? There's some sort of inflation going on in the marketplace. And so if you had that cash just sitting there and you weren't, didn't have it invested in something, you would actually be losing money every year. You'd have the cash, but that cash would buy less every year for you. So um, it's, that's why we feel like, man, real estate, long-term holds, great inflation hedge. Um, and and that, that can be valuable. The rents are gonna go up, the NOI is gonna get a little bit better um, over time, but you gotta be patient. Hey guys, so hopefully you didn't get uh, lost in the numbers there, but we really felt like we wanted to walk through this pro forma in detail so that 
uh, as we tee up the case study for next week, which is the project that Wes and Brooks worked on for quite some time. Uh, we wanted the context of all these numbers and how they factor into the decisions that are being made along the way as you're figuring out uh, the loan amounts, you know, where you're getting your initial capital, what kind of return, um, how you're uh, estimating rents and expenses and those types of things. So we're going to walk through that project on uh, next week's episode, and that will be the actual case study. But this week, go ahead and, and jump out there, look at some properties, look at some land, look at some rehabs, and bring a few napkins and, and run through this process. I think uh, looking at that first napkin, again, is kind of your P&L. Hey, what are rents? What are expenses? What is that NOI looking like? And then that second napkin, trying to figure out some of your loan uh, to value numbers, your costs, and hey, is this deal, is this project starting to work out? So um, those would be my takeaways from today's episode. And again, just teeing up the case study for next week. We wanted the context of all these numbers. So look forward to that. And thanks again for listening, guys. Again, this is Building a Family Business here on Builder Funnel Radio. Mm-hmm.